Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We've been in a series called As Intended, where we've been looking at everything Jesus said and didn't say about the topic of relationships. And this is the 12th week in that series. We're actually going to close the series out today. And if you've been hearing any of these messages, you've heard me say over and over again, Jesus says relationships aren't just important, they're actually the center of what life is all about because God is love and he's created us to love like he loves, to be loved by him and to love others as he loves us. And so it's what we're made for. And we've been following Jesus as he goes through the book of Matthew, everything that he says about the dynamics of relationships, and especially what we see in the the Sermon on the Mount, he gets down to the root sources of why we behave in the ways that we do that actually drive our relationships apart, that tear them apart. And so if you've missed any of that series, there's been some really challenging and instructive things I think we found along the way that help us get to why is it that our relationships fall apart? And Jesus says, well, it's because of the state of our hearts that drive each other away through anger, contempt, and lust, and manipulation. But I am shaping you. When you disciple yourself to me, Jesus says, I am shaping you. Even now, I'm shaping you into a person of agape love. That's the point of following him. The word Christian originally means little Christ. <laughs> the point of discipling ourselves to him is that he's, he's making us like him. He's shaping us into the very person that he is. And you see in the Sermon on the Mount, he's really describing his own character. This is who he's making his kids to be. Not just things to do, but he's saying, this is the kind of person that you're going to become in me. These will be the natural ways that you respond to the people around you, even those who hate you. And so, this morning we're going to close out the series by celebrating the joy of baptism. So first of all, we're going to learn about it a little bit. We're going to have a shorter message, and then we're going to practice it together. We've got a couple people who are uh, candidates for baptism this morning, and there may be some of us here also in the course of this message that decide we want to make that same step today. So if you're not baptized and the Lord says, hey, Maybe you should go up there. There's an invitation for you today that I'm, I'm going to repeat. So, the question we're asking this morning to somehow tie this into our series is, how does baptism relate to relationships? And actually, it's not too much of a stretch. <laughs> baptism is what we call, but it is going to take us outside of the book of Matthew. Baptism is what we call an outward sign that signifies an inward reality. That's one way of describing what a sacrament is. It's a mystery. Something visible, something visible that is a sign for something invisible and spiritual. And so, all the way through the series, we've been talking about how we relate to one another, how apprenticing ourselves to Jesus makes us into a person like him. That's what I was just summarizing. But he says, when we come to know him, we begin to live a different kind of life. Jesus calls it 
eternal life, which is not a different quantity of life. It's a different quality of life. It's not quantitative. It is qualitative. Eternal life is the life that God has in himself. And Jesus says, if you want to know what it is, he defines it. The one place where eternal life is specifically, explicitly defined, John 17, 3, it's my favorite verse in scripture, I think. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So get that. Jesus says, this is the definition of life, relationship with the Father. If God is life, if he's the source of life, what else could the truest, most unending kind of life be but being connected in relationship to that being? That's what he's saying. And so we enter into that relationship by trusting him in such a way that we believe who he says he is. And we turn our lives over to him. A lot of times you say, oh, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved by faith. And it means trusting ourselves, entrusting our lives to him. If we believe, it's impossible to believe him and not do what he says. That's what Jesus says. Because you show that you actually believe what he says by doing what he says. In the Bible, the one thing that a person does to demonstrate publicly that they've done this, it's called baptism. And that's why Matthew Matthew gets one mention in here. He ends his gospel, Matthew 28, 19. He says, the final command that Jesus gives the disciples that we know is the great commission. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so there's a pattern there, isn't there? He says, If you're my apprentices, go out to the ends of the earth and make more apprentices. And as they decide to apprentice themselves to me, they demonstrate that by baptizing themselves into my life. And as the disciples obeyed that commission, that's what you see. Everywhere that they went, as soon as people believed the good news that Jesus was king, and gave him their loyalty as their true king, they were immersed in water in a public declaration of that loyalty, that allegiance. So you can read that all through the book of Acts, especially. And a lot of times, you know, in in our setting, in our day and age, people can be believers for years and not get baptized till later. But when you see in the book of Acts, there wasn't, you didn't have to do a six-week class and get the stamp of approval from the local pastor. It was like, you believe? Okay, great. You know? (laughs) Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he just caught like a chariot Uber ride with him. And then, oh, you believe? Why don't we, there's a river right over there. Let's just go get baptized, right? So it's one of these things where it's like, if a person has actually made that, that allegiance to Jesus... There's no barrier that you have to, there's no other hurdle to jump over. It's go get dunked. (laughs) This is your public statement. Now, at New Covenant, we try and be faithful to what we see as the pattern in scripture. So we, we baptize anyone who wants to make that public statement. 
And like I said, we're going to do that. And I'm going to invite anyone who wants to do that today, even if you weren't able to attend the class, I, to do that. <laughs> but before we do that, I want us to just meditate a little bit on the relational implications of what we're doing when we do baptism. All right, so we're going to read together from Romans 6, 1 to 11. And the book of Romans, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the city of Rome. And as far as we know, there was no apostle that founded the church in Rome. And so it seems, and it seems like from the character of the letter that he writes, Paul is writing as an apostle to these young, you know, Christians, many of them who were not Jewish, or some who weren't, some who were slaves, some who were well off. And he's giving them the equivalent of an apostolic foundation for their faith. So this, it's why every other letter he writes to churches that he founded or was involved in founding, Rome, Rome he wasn't involved in founding. So he's, that's the best reason I can think of why he writes such a systematic, in-depth letter like Romans. Okay, so he's laying down a foundational understanding of what it means to believe in Jesus and what happens to a person when they do and how to live it out. Right? And he says, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures, the gift we receive when we give him ourselves, when we entrust our lives to him, he says, when that happens, we are exonerated from all sin. In the, the court of the eternal judge, we are exonerated, we're declared not just not guilty, but we're declared righteous. And he says, this is a gift. A free gift given by faith. And so we're exonerated from all the sin we've ever committed and ever will commit. All right, so that's a little bit of the context leading up to chapter six. And in starting in verse one of chapter six, Paul says this What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, since the debt of our sin is paid, does that give us license to go? Do whatever we want. Go rack up some more debts because Jesus has already paid them. Do we have freedom to carry on sinning? He says, by no means. And then he gets into this picture of what's happened to a person who's decided to follow Jesus. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's quite a passage. That is really quite a passage. The word Christian 
you probably know, it only appears three times in the New Testament, and it's always used as a disrespect. It's a diss from outsiders calling Christians, oh, you little Christs, you little Jesuses, you know. The New Testament way of speaking about what we call Christianity is being in Christ. That's the term that's used over and over again. And so Paul's saying a Christian is someone who, ha- who is in Christ. A Christian is someone who has been united with Christ. When we're united to him, this is my summary, my paraphrase of what he's saying in that passage is that when we're united to him, his achievement becomes our achievement. Our debt becomes his debt. His riches become our riches. It's this glorious exchange. And there's another passage, there's many other passages in the New Testament that talk about this new kind of life, this eternal kind of life as like a marriage. And it's a great picture because when you're married to someone, your debts become their debts. My student debts are as good as Selena's student debts. (laughs) And it doesn't, I can't really make the next comparison because I didn't bring any riches into the marriage. (laughs) But if I were to have been rich, (laughs) we also would have been united in our wealth. (laughs) So... When you're married to someone, your debts become their debts and their riches become your riches and vice versa. And in another way, even in the picture of marriage, when that marriage union happens, there's also, there's a death in that moment, a death of the single you. (laughs) And now the single you that was free to live for yourself, to only have concern for yourself, And when you're married, when you're united in that marriage, now that single life has come to an end, and now you no longer only live for yourself. You live for and you live with your spouse. And so out of that, that dying comes a new form, a new quality, a kind of life. And so this is what we're enacting in baptism. And so the first point here, in baptism... We get to attend our own funeral. We get to attend our own funeral. And we're showing that our previous life of sin is now dead. That me is dead and being buried. And we're also showing that our relationship with sin is broken. It's done. Sin, you're dead to me. It's okay to say that. (laughs) Sin, you're dead to me and I'm dead to you. We We don't know each other anymore. We have no ties. You've got no claim on me, on my possessions, on my family, on my life from this moment on. You're dead to me. I'm no longer married to sin. I'm united to Christ. I'm in Christ. No longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. And so in baptism, we're making a display publicly of crucifying, killing, burying that sinful old self. 
And that's something that, that we do. Um, it's not something anyone else can do for you. It's a public act of obedience to declare what's happening spiritually. And so we're bap- when we're baptized, we're looking at the water and we're saying, here lies the old me. And that reflection looking up at me, this is the old me. And when I come down and I come up, there's a new me now. From that moment on, Paul's saying, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. And it doesn't mean you'll never sin again. (laughs) But it does mean that the old part of you, that old sinful self, no longer has a right to life. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily to follow me. It means every day there's a death of the selfish, sinful, old person. And it's a daily practice. So in baptism, this is the next point, in baptism we signify that we're united with Christ. And so this is, this is the best thing about the funeral that we get to attend, is that we don't stay in the casket. <laughs> Just as we're united in his death that killed sin, we're united in his resurrection that gave new, indestructible life to his body. New, glorified life. And so again, it's that, it's that the same picture of marriage. Just as we exchange our debt, he gives back his riches. And a lot of times you'll hear, when you hear the message of the gospel preached, many times it's reduced to Jesus died on the cross so you can be forgiven of your sins and not go to hell when you die, but go to heaven, right? Your sins are forgiven. But that's, thank God that's true, but that's only half of the picture, He didn't just die to wipe away our sins and leave us with a blank slate. We don't have a blank slate. He now says, in Christ, all the riches in the heavenly places belong to his kids. Those in his inheritance were were seated in heavenly places in Christ. Far more than just a blank slate. And so, it's not only the good news that our sins are forgiven, but that we are alive in him, that his riches are our riches. And so this is reminded of Isaiah 62 that says, you shall no longer be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's not just that the king of the universe, the judge, has declared you not guilty and you get to walk out. No, he's, not, he's done that, but he's not only done that, he's given you this eternal inheritance. So he's not only cleared away your debt, he's made you inconceivably rich. <laughs> I'm not talking about your bank account right now, okay? Just to make that clear. <laughs> Ephesians 5, Paul says something similar. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so here, Paul's 
mixing the images of baptism and marriage. Coming together, this picture that helps us understand what's happening to a person who enters into a relationship with Jesus. And most theologians will say that that phrase, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, is a reference to baptism in water. And it's referencing how the word of the gospel actually cleanses us from all sin. And so baptism is the sign of our union with Jesus. It's this new covenant of relationship. And it unites us with Jesus, but like anyone married knows, when you marry someone and you not only marry the person, you marry their family. Right? And so we're united. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. And sometimes we can feel that way about our brothers and sisters in Christ. But in baptism, we're not only married to him, we get united through that to his family, to everyone else who's also united with him, to anyone else who's ever covenanted with him. We become the bride of Christ. We become part of the bride of Christ. We together, and not one single person is the bride, the church, the people are the bride. And so... We've got those two pictures. There's another one here that Paul uses. In baptism, is the next point, we certify that we belong to Jesus Christ. So just after this passage in Romans 6, Paul writes this, in verse 16 and onwards, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And in verse 18, it says, And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Now, this is a harder image for us to deal with because we have a certain picture of slavery given our moment in history, but Paul is, he's using an image here that his audience would have absolutely understood straight away. And it's a picture of um, servitude. And it worked, I could do a whole message on this, but I'm not It worked differently in the ancient world than what we automatically think of when we think of transatlantic slavery, because transatlantic slavery was absolutely sinful in that it was based on kidnapping. It was based on force, coercion. But in the ancient world, it was actually quite common for a person to offer themselves into servitude by choice for the payment of a debt or different things. And so it could actually be, and his audience would have perfectly known this, it could be a chosen relationship. That's why he's saying, anyone that you choose to obey, that's, your, that's who you belong to. <laughs> and so Paul's saying when we enter into this relationship with Jesus, we're choosing no longer to be in service to sin, but be in service to God. We're no longer under slavery to sin, we're in service willingly, joyfully, to righteousness. And so, we're, cho- we're choosing no longer to serve sin and obey sin. We choose, to su- we choose to serve Jesus and obey Jesus. And when you do that, he says, that means you belong to him. You belong to him. So sin, when you're a, after your baptism, what you're saying is, sin no longer has the right to tell you what to do. When you're under slavery to sin, when you're in servitude, sin can absolutely tell you what to do. And you must obey. You can do no no other. But when we give ourselves to Jesus, when we come into slavery to righteousness or servitude to Christ, we're now free not to obey the commands of sin, the demands of sin. 
He sets us free to be able to worship the true and living God. And so Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Sin can't tell you what to do. You're not enslaved to it anymore. Jesus bought you. He purchased you out. He redeemed you. That's the meaning of the word redemption in scriptures, purchasing someone out of slavery. And so belonging to Jesus means you're his belonging. (laughs) You're his to serve. You don't belong to sin anymore. He purchased you from the power of sin and death. And so the next point is this, is that in baptism, we break, we form a new relationship with Jesus, with, the, with his bride, but in that same moment, we're also breaking all former relationships. So we're dying to our old self, we're breaking up with our former love affair to sin, we're being purchased from our former slave master for freedom, and in each of those pictures, there is a definitive, absolute break with the past. It's a rejection of those former relationships. And so baptism is like your, it's like your breakup. It, you know, it's making your, it's making your breakup Facebook official. <laughs> and so that's why in the liturgy of baptism, you know, sometimes it's like, why do they say that? Why do you say, do you renounce the devil? You're saying, are, have you broken up with the devil? Are you still flirting a little bit? Is there still something little there? No. Publicly break up. It's done. <laughs> We're done. We renounce Satan and all his works. And so that, that's why there, there's an element of spiritual baptism, uh, sorry, spiritual warfare in baptism. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, it was all, my Christian life was great until I got baptized and then it's all hell broke loose. And it's like, yeah, well, he doesn't like getting broken up with. <laughs> and so it's a wedding, it's a funeral, and it's joining a family. Like I said, it's, it's formal. This is our last point here is that it's, our, it's formal acceptance into the church, the family of God. And notice that it's not this church, it's not a local church, it's the church. It makes you a member of the universal church. Paul says in Ephesians, you are members of the household of God. There's a quote, D.A. Carson, the theologian said, a Christian is one who's been adopted by God, brought into the family of God, all by the Son of God, and this changes everything. And when you get baptized, when you become a Christian, you're in Christ, you're part of the church, whether you know it or not, (laughs) whether you like it or not, you've entered into a spiritual reality. And so that's a unity that is a bond in the spirit. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, Paul says in Ephesians. We share a spiritual unity because we have one father. And so can you see baptism's all about relationship, right? It's great because I I thought I would have to like somehow, you know, like jerry-rig this into the series, but no, it's there, (laughs) This is what it is. This is a relationship. And so it's, it's relationships that end and it's a relationship that begins with Christ and his family. And that's what we're celebrating today. And so we have two 
of our young people who are going to be getting baptized this morning, and I'm going to invite, you're like, wait, the sermon's done already, Ian? You usually go like 20 more minutes. I'm like, yeah, well, that's, this isn't the main show today. <laughs> so I'd like the musicians to come back up and to invite our baptism candidates to the back, and they can meet me at the stairs to the pool. And like I said at the beginning, there may be someone here who says, you know what? I've never said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to become like you. I want to give my life to you. You can do that right now. You can, you can say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I believe. <laughs> and I want to demonstrate my belief this morning by showing it, declaring it publicly in baptism. And if that's you this morning, every time we've done this, the last couple years since the merger, it's been great because we'll have, we'll have two or three people and then four or five people come out of the woodwork and we just have this amazing praise party. So, is that you? <laughs> if it is, I want to issue that invitation. Come. Come. There's no further hurdle. If you're ready, if you've given your life to Jesus right now, say, Jesus, I trust you and I want to follow you and I want to tell the world that. (laughs) Yeah, you can go right right here. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.